invasions? Well, it's not just imminent anymore. Throw up that link there, Scotty, if you've got a second. Um, it's not just imminent anymore. Um, you may have heard the imminent thing before. Um, it's no longer imminent. It's actually... Collapsed away. Very, very likely and very, very imminent. Oh. And that's according to some English politician dude. Well, that's, that's, an, that's an improvement. You, you were complaining in the last show that, you know, I, I keep seeing the same headline over and over again. You know, U.S. government says, U.K. Mm. government says war is imminent. But that is, I like it. Yeah. Go to... Go to two ver- two, four varies. Go to CNN.com there, Scotty, just so we know this isn't fake news from, from Sky News. Can you go to CNN.com yourself? Can you just type it in? Oh. Yes. Uh, um, oh, they've changed it. I have we believe Putin has made a decision to invade Ukraine, according to Putin, but now it's Russia playbook for an invasion is moving forward. The playbook. Uh, the playbook, the, the, the Kremlin playbook. Is that like playtime for kids? Yeah. Playtime in the Kremlin for dictators, for, for literally Hitler. Um the playbook that's supposed to mean something what does he think what does it mean to him a playbook well there's a document called the russian playbook that gives an outline oh. of, of how russia plays um, well it's geopolitics basically oh. um but uh yeah yeah the pl- russian playbook is a is a big big thing in, in washington circles you know yeah is yeah. this the russian playbook do you think this is russian playbook? yes i think this is definitely the russian playbook and imminent of course well everything's yeah imminent um in the russian playbook when you want it to be. But it's imminent because today is the end of the Beijing Olympics and that's it's time for right. a war. Whenever whenever Xi has finished with his fun in the snow. Uh, Playing. Yeah, Russia Russia agreed that they, would, they wouldn't uh, do anything until then. So obviously today or tomorrow, let's say, sometime between today and tomorrow, is the definitely, really, really, for sure, for absolute reals this time, is going to be yeah. the Russian invasion. It's happening. But what will actually happen would be, if anything happens, as I mentioned previously, uh, it'll be a Ukrainian invasion of uh, Donbass, Donetsk and Luhansk, to try and take back uh, those two regions. That's obviously what's going to happen. Russia has been very clear and made it very clear by their lack of action that they had no intention of invading Ukraine um, ever, despite this incessant nauseatingly incessant um, I mean I literally barfed multiple times mm. uh, over the past six weeks watching the news just from the nauseatingly uh, repetitive and bullshitty nature of the headlines I mean how many times can they say Russia's going to invade we have intel intel says Russia's going to invade intel today is today it's, it's any time now it's one yeah. of these days they've literally been doing that for two months yeah. eight weeks incessantly yeah. and they have no shame about it and when February 15th came and went then they said tomorrow, 16th. Yeah. And then they said 20th, which is today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where is it? Let's see the invasion. Now, the Olympics thing, that's really creepy because they, they've been saying that for weeks. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's going to use the Olympics. Well, I'm not sure why, but whatever. He's going to use the Olympics. He'll time it with the Olympics, presumably because the people's world's attention will all be focused on the Olympics so he can sneak in a war, right? I don't think there'd be much in the way of world attention focused on uh, the Winter Olympics. It was a big it was a big part of the countering the Russian playbook narrative, which was that the Olympics are coming, therefore... What, what, what was the therefore for them? No, the therefore was that G didn't want him to, to mess up the Olympics. Don't, don't be having a nasty war in the middle of my Olympics. 
That wasn't what I was friends. hearing. I was. Uh, I'll look for. I'll look that, for like a few weeks old report, and I, I it was something like. Like what? Um, Putin would use the Olympics, like the sometime during the duration of them, no. to invade Ukraine. Well, maybe, but there was definitely the idea that they, it wouldn't happen before the end of the Olympics. There was one idea that okay. wouldn't happen before the end of the Olympics because. She is up. his friend, and you don't want to mess up your friend's party by distracting and having a war while your friend's having a snow party, right? So, Okay, Associated Press, February 11th. Russia could again invade Ukraine during Olympics, Blinken says. Yeah, during, before, after. Um. Uh, let's see if he, if he fleshed that out, why, why he thinks that. We're in a window when an invasion could begin. Yeah, the Olympic Games <clears throat> end today, February 20th. Therefore, that's deadline day. So the Western narrative was that it has to be by the end of them. You know what I mean? Mm. That's, uh, I'm not, you, you have a good point. You have a good point. If you were a strategist, you would not want to mess up. No, that was said though. On Be- Beijing, that was said specifically that there was an agreement between Russia and 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 China that uh, that Putin wouldn't. Of course, the Chinese that that claim was made, and the Chinese actually said that that was nonsense. That they never made they never made any request to the uh, to the Russians not to do anything. It's 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 a silly statement. This is all bullshit. I wouldn't try and analyze too much bullshit coming from the Western media over the past eight weeks because we know it's all been mostly bullshit, right? In terms of the well, propaganda, right? We know we know our history, so we know what's really going on here. Mm. The fact of the matter is, during two Olympics, while Putin has been in power, stunts have been pulled against Russia. Hmm. 2008 Olympics, Putin is sitting down with, I don't know who the leader of the Chinese Communist Party was then, sitting down with him as a guest of honor at the opening ceremony of the Beijing Olympics, which was the Summer Olympics Mm -hmm. in early August 2008. When he gets the news, as he's sitting there watching the opening ceremony, that Georgia has attacked Russian territory or Mm. the breakaway of territory. I'm not sure. Shells also flew into Russia proper sparking the Russia-Georgia War of 2008. So mm. that's not Putin taking advantage of Olympics to do no. stuff. <clears throat> the that's, second instance, of the, course, yeah. is the Winter Olympics held in Sochi in Russia, during which, and the build-up to which, is the massive yeah. firestorm that was started in Kiev. Right. So it's like barely coming to an end. It probably, it, I presume the Winter Olympics in Sochi were held at the same time through February. And it's February 22nd, 2014, that the snipers open fire from rooftops against the demonstrators slash Yuki mm-hmm. hardcore activist firebombing police down yep. on the streets and Yanukovych flees the country mm-hmm. February 22nd. So who used the Olympics? Yeah, yeah. But that's projection, right? Pure so projection. That's where you're getting it. That's what they're getting it from, basically, you know. They, they think, you know, it's all projection, yeah, because uh, they're living in their little, their little subjective bubbles and, you know, they can't see outside. I which know, is, they're mental though. The Russian playbook. No, yeah. it's your playbook, mm-hmm. motherfucker. Of it's course. yours. <laughs> but uh, that's the one thing that defines all of this is massive projection, you know what I mean? Uh, and all, as defined America, certainly in the last, you know, 20 years, it, everything has been about projecting, projecting, uh, you know, threats abroad and, and uh, you know, 
to, all to justify to get what they want. That's and, what projections are about, right? Yeah. The intentions. He he's going to do a false flag. He's going to choose this date, right? Um. Yeah, but it's, 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 it is hot over there. Yeah, it's hot. Yeah. So the situation right now is that, and one thing you see is that there's lots and lots. We've, we've been inundated with maps with lots of arrows of Russian military forces on Ukrainian borders uh, and what they would likely do in Ukraine. So lots of arrows in here and, and, and projections and, and you know all sorts of stuff coming from who knows where. I mean, these people are obviously getting it. I mean, in the media, they're getting it from someone because they themselves have no idea about military strategy. So someone's providing them with, uh, with the likely military you know strategy of what Russia is going to do in Ukraine and stuff. But one thing that's missing in all of that that I haven't really seen and you really have to dig for it is the thing that's far more likely to happen and that would be far more instructive is maps of how many uh, or maps of details about how many Ukrainian forces are on the border of the Luhansk and Donetsk people, People's Republics mm. self-declared and and what the likely um, you know invasions invasion from that side is going to is going to be or, or what, what what form it would take because that's the most likely thing to happen that's going to be the first if there's going to be anything that'll be the first salvo basically will be from the ukrainian side into donbass and luhansk uh -huh. because russia has pissed off america over the past several months by not doing anything no matter how much they've been provoked no matter, no matter how much they've been told that this is what you're going to do they have not done it and they've been, instead publicly said no we're not going to do that and we keep saying we're not going to do that and that really pisses America off so um, the only way that they can get Russia to do anything is by taking preemptive action against Russian ethnic Russians in Donbass and, and in Donbass so that, that's the most likely thing to happen and I mean all the talk we talked about last week about the um, about the maybe a couple of weeks ago I don't know about this the Pentagon spokesman talking about a false flag attack and Russia's planning false flag attacks, blah, 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 blah. Well, this week, I mean, there has been an uptick over the past week or so um, in shelling, you know, mortars, etc., fired from uh, Ukraine into Donbass, targeting different places, but also allegations of them. And they probably have been shooting back from... They've been from, firing back from at from positions Don they're coming from, yeah. From Donbass. But there was a claim this week, it didn't get a lot of attention, but it was straight out of the American playbook, which is or the Western playbook uh, against any of their enemies, which is to highlight some kind of uh, an atrocity in a certain sense. You know, um, and in this case, there's nothing better in, in that respect than if, if children are in some way or other attacked or threatened. Now, there's there was a claim um, in the Western media about um, a, a nursery school. Uh, yeah. Uh, taking a direct hit yeah let me just see if I can find it because I didn't actually um, you can okay so that, uh, there's not many actual okay okay there's one from ABC News um, it's kind of interesting because uh, it's just that, that kind of thing jumps out at me because <laughs> it's so manipulative um, that's it that's it there, that's, that's from ABC News there wasn't much I mean a lot of them reported it in their headlines on the ongoing situation um, but this is one from 17th February so three days ago uh, tensions rise in Ukraine as Russian backed separate shelling hits nursery school now you'd 
look at that and think to yourself, wow, that's that's bad, you know. Um, if you scroll down, you, you can try and find an image. There is maybe one of patrols the damaged building. This guy, keep down, down a little bit. Yeah, that's the in that's that's not very instructive, but the next one uh, is um, this guy supposedly. Oh, look, there's some some paintings on the wall and stuff. So, and it supposedly patrols the, patrols the damaged building uh, of a local school located in the line of located near the line of separation from the Ukrainian armed forces uh, in, the, in the Luhansk region. So, but luckily there was an actual video because in any good false flag operation you want to have some proper video. So it, it's following the American playbook and the way that the, the that Pentagon spokesguy, spokesperson detailed. You know, you have to have video and stuff of the atrocity. Now this is obviously lo low level, but do you have the video I sent a couple of days ago go there, Scotty? Um, or do you need me to send it again? Mm -hmm. I do. US built up. So we'll just have a look at this. And this, so this is actual video of. Can you make it bigger? And stop it. Go back to the start, yeah. <clears throat> so this is a video of the alleged um, shelling by luhansk or donbass separatists let's say of a nursery school in ukraine you know not far over the border it was in ukraine, ukraine that, that is in ukraine proper, proper yeah but yeah. obviously kiev uh, occupied ukraine yeah <laughs> well, yeah <laughs> ukraine. Uh, anyway so here's a video uh, ukraine's military has accused russian-backed force of firing shells at a village in the luhansk region and hitting a nursery school whatever so here's the image here's the image they presented to, to verify or to back up their claim of that the evil Putin-backed separatists in eastern Ukraine have been attacking nursery schools in Ukraine. Nobody was injured, so that's all good. But the video is interesting just um, in terms of whether or not it actually validates the claim. So just play it there, and I'll ask you to stop it, actually. So there's a hole in the wall. Look around. Everything looks pretty nice. Just stop there. Uh, there's the hole that the shell, quote-unquote, supposedly came through. Uh, wallpaper looks pretty good. If that's wallpaper or painting, painting looks pretty good. Even the bookshelf under the thing, it's just got a, some bricks on it. Uh, there's some footballs there. I think one or two of the little footballs that were on those shelves got knocked off by the violent explosion. Um, the windows, Joe. What's going I, on with I the keep windows? going, yeah. Just play, play, play some more. Uh, windows look fine. Doors look fine wall everything looks fine windows yeah fine no shattered windows and this is outside just pause it there for example but those windows should be shattered <laughs> window right beside it fine i mean i've done some construction and what that looks like is someone took a pickaxe and took off the outside cladding or whatever it is plaster basically it looks like mud kind of like a mud plaster on the outside of the bricks knocked it off with a pickaxe that's the kind of rubble you'd expect. Then someone took a sledgehammer and knocked out 10 rows of bricks. And then if you just jump back to the inside again, because that doesn't show any more of the inside. And then the inside of... Is, is there's... Okay, go back a little bit more. The interesting thing is those bricks <laughs> as well, is that those are, those are like, look like new cinder blocks, you know? They're gray and someone broke them up and kind of scattered them in a line in front of the hole. <clears throat> but if you just jump forward again and look at the outside, 
the, the bricks on the outside, those aren't cinder blocks, right? They look like older, probably an older building. A lot of buildings in Ukraine are old. Those, are, those, those aren't cinder blocks. They're, um, they look almost like they could be mud, <coughs> mud bricks or clay <coughs> half and half, maybe. or at least just clay bricks, right? With fiberglass insulation. Yeah. So um, there's none of the brown material inside the building. It's all broken up outside. relatively, or, no, inside the building. None of that mm. brown material on the outside. Oh, so is, it's is, ejected outwards. It's inside. Somehow yeah. it's, well, it was, well, it was knocked off. The only conclusion <laughs> is it was knocked off the wall. All of that was deliberately just knocked off the wall. And then the the bricks inside were either, maybe they used the bricks, maybe they were cinder blocks, whatever, but somebody scattered them in front because there's no damage inside. Obviously, the only conclusion here is that some kind of a shell, and a very strange shell because these are, the shells are firing are mortars, which are pretty much ballistic. Yeah. They don't have any guiding. They're not flying horizontally. They're up flying and up and down in an arc and landing and exploding. So, and also other people took videos of, of this area and in the, in the opposite direction of where that something went, supposedly went through that wall, there are plenty of buildings, right? Uh, so there's no way for any kind of a guided missile to have, unless it was a super super fancy, uh, you know, Tomahawk cruise missile that has GPS and stuff and can avoid building stuff. But there's basically a lot of buildings around there. <clears throat> and anyway, that that um, damage isn't consistent with the things that are being fired, which are mortars, which go up, up and, and, down. and land down on the ground. It doesn't penetrate uh, sideways and the pattern of debris inside would suggest that something they're trying to make it look you know you have to conclude that it was some kind of a missile that went through the wall vertically and then spread the debris inside but not the kind of debris that is on the outside of the building for some reason just some relatively new looking as you can see there uh, if it came through the wall over here right yeah. it, it kind of is like a projectile shouldn't like on this wall over here should, I mean don't munitions usually like explode not in Ukraine, Should, no. Shouldn't there be like some... No. I mean, the wallpaper is immaculate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe it was one of those That's special a, evil Russian missiles or something. Yeah, maybe. Who yeah, knows? Yeah. Guys, these are Russians we're But this was about. portrayed as, and again, it's for the propaganda effect. It's like, you know, uh, evil Russian-backed Ukrainian separatists um, attacked in nursery school. Uh, it looks very much the only... I mean, anybody with any sense, I think, or with any... any modicum of <coughs> perspicacity would look at that situation and say, look, the outside of that building. <laughs> you could probably, see, if you looked, if you had better video and looked up close, you'd probably see pickaxe marks in that uh, kind of cladding on the outside of the building where someone just ripped it off, then knocked out with a sledgehammer a hole in the wall and said, there's your, there's your, there's your explosion, there's your attack on uh, a nursery school. Anyway, so that was the closest we got to a false flag attack. And it actually is, at least in the way it was reported, that is a false flag at, uh, attack, uh, but by the um, the amazing thing is by I, the West. Basically, I first learned US about about that incident in the British Telegraph with the headline "Putin claims false flag attack in eastern Ukraine." So my first learning of it wasn't that this had happened; it mm -hmm. was that. Russia had made an official claim about this incident. Mm -hmm. <laughs> made no such claim. They learned about it the same way. Mm. You know what I mean? They jumped, they kind of jumped the gun and went false flag but without actually going through the steps of letting this go out and percolate, then Russia making its claim. Then who the said West, it was a false flag? The British Telegraph. Said that this was a false flag? Yeah, this was a false flag. That Putin's calling this a false flag was a false flag. You, you, I'm getting confused. Turner. I, I'm sorry. You're going double reverse psychology. I can't. I, I'm sorry. 
I'll have to look for it. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So it's all. Um, is it all going to kick off? I don't know if it's going to kick off or not. Anyway, um, not not a lot of people know anything about the history of all of this. Like, let's just throw up. Uh, let's throw up invasion. Invasion dot jpeg, Scotty. Uh, just to give some context, to kick off the context. Uh, a nice little list there of a um, bit of history, in case you, anybody thinks that this is something new. From 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2021, we got a break in 2020 because of COVID, I think, but right up until November 2021, check out those headlines. Russia is massing thousands of troops in Ukraine's border. What's Putin up to? The Russian military buildup in Europe. Ukraine asserts major Russian military buildup on eastern Ukraine. Almost 100,000 Russian troops poised for, guess what? That was uh, January 2019. What is that? Uh, one, two, three, three? More than three years ago. Uh, April 2021, after months of summary conflict, thousands of Russian, you know what comes next. Then November, well, that's just a few months ago, Russia has 90,000 troops. So this isn't anything new, just in case you thought it was. Uh, but obviously, something has changed on this iteration of the whole round of bullshit, which is that it's been massive. It, the media is, is is saturated with these stories, whereas, uh, whereas uh, going back um, more than five years on a kind of yearly basis, or sometimes more than once a year, uh, the media reported pretty much exactly the same headlines that you've been seeing over and over again for the past eight weeks, except they were just reported once or twice in a few outlets, and that's it and no one paid any attention. Uh, and, of course, you didn't have governments, government leaders all, you know, hysterically flapping about the whole thing, having meetings, wondering what they're going to do, sending weapons, all that kind of stuff. So, obviously, they've, they've turned the temperature way up on it this time. Um, and it all, as we're saying, it's all leading up to the only thing that would make any difference this time is if the U.S. and its allies in partnership with the Quisling state of Ukraine and the Quisling government of Ukraine uh, have decided that they're going to actually attack Donbass, attack the ethnic Russians in Donbass. It, that, that can be, that's the only possible difference that can that'll make this one different from, the, from all the previous flaps about this. Mm. Uh, and of course, then if that happens, then you get a response from Russia to some extent and then anything that can justify sanctions, anything that would you know, be a check mark approval for sanctions, bad enough action by Russia in order to approve sanctions against Russia and and see where that goes. Um, I, I found the, um, yeah. the British government claim about the kindergarten <coughs> incident. Put this up, Scotty. It was reported everywhere. Uh, Boris Johnson, Ukraine kindergarten shelling is false flag operation. Prime Minister, a separatist attack in East is spurious provocation for Russian action. Uh, how does that work? Boris Johnson has claimed the shelling of a nursery school in the Donbass region of Ukraine by Russian-backed separatists was a fault. But he's getting that wrong. This was this was this was in Ukraine. I just I just showed you a headline there before we saw the video <coughs> that it was. It's it's uh, Russian-backed separatists in Donbass were accused 
of shelling an area that included that damage to a nursery school in Ukraine. These Ukrainian, loyal Western Ukrainian nursery school children who were put in danger. Where's he getting that from? I'm not sure, but my only guess would that be, it says, it names a city there, the city of Stan, Stanitsia Luhanska is in non, is in Kiev occupied part of Luhansk. Right. So when he says the Donbass, he is, the, informally the region of Donbass is larger than the part that's of course, yeah. by the, yeah. so when that could be accurate, he says it took place in the Donbass, but on the Kiev side, the Kiev occupied side. No, but he says the shelling of the and Donbass region by of Ukraine by Russian-backed separatists. This is territory. This happened in territory held by the Ukrainian military. Yeah, and he's implying that it was fired over into Ukrainian-held territory by the separatists, hit the school, and then he jumps the gun. That's what I was trying to say. He jumped the gun by saying it's a false flag operation. Mm -hmm. It is probably a false flag operation, but in the reverse direction. You see, mm. the, the Yukis did that, got media attention. Look, they're shelling us. In fact, they're targeting our children. And Boris is like, how? How does that? How does that? Yeah, but how? How does? How does it? It's it, that's justification for Ukraine to do something against the separatists, not the opposite way around. Mm -hmm. So how, how how can it be how can it favor aimed at discrediting the Ukrainian government? It doesn't discredit the Ukrainian government. If Ukrainian government if the Ukrainian if, if a nursery school in territory held by the Ukrainian government is attacked by Russian backed separatists, it doesn't discredit the Ukrainian government. It discredits the separatists who fired the the, the mortar. Right? Right. Yes. And we saw that in the headline. That's what they were accused. Most of the other headlines about this are accusing the Russian-backed separatists of attacking a nursery school in Ukraine. Yes. So, how is it a, a false flag? Does he mean it didn't happen? But then that's you're looking a gift horse in the mouth. That's an opportunity for you to say, "Look at these evil Russian-backed separatists. What they did to a nursery school." Is, is, is Boris just like? Being dopey Boris or something, or are they are they being hoisted on? Are they getting? It was reported all over the place. This was not a one-off report, huh? It was a blitz. That's why I'm telling you. The first thing I heard about an incident was the West accused Russia of a false flag operation, quote, designed to discredit the Ukrainians, designed to create a pretext, a spurious provocation for Russian action. Here's what I'm thinking: it is double reverse psychology. They are going to. Some atrocity is going to happen. Maybe this, this wasn't it, but some atrocity is going to happen. Then the Russians will say, okay, that's gone too far. We need to physically stop this. And then the, the West will get to say, there, you see, he's created the false pretext for the military action he always wanted to take. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, but that's, that's the standard. Just, okay, okay. I think I think they're going mad. I think no, we're going no, mad trying to figure because they're no, going mad. But I mean, somebody has to. Somebody has to. You said, yeah, it was all over the news and stuff. Yeah, but all of the news was basically this news. Just throw one up, Scotty. Uh, this this was the reporting on it. That one that you just put up from wherever. 
is is I don't know where the hell it comes from. Shelling by Russian-backed separatists raises tensions in East Ukraine. Cool, scroll down. Tensions in East of Ukraine, <coughs> i.e. in Ukraine, not in the breakaway republics, have risen dramatically after Russian-backed separatists launched an intense artillery barrage across the line of control with Ukrainian forces, shelling a nursery school and injuring three people. Well, the British Prime Minister called it a false flag operation. He doesn't. He, he's like getting tied up in his own yes, bullshit. His own basically, bullshit. Exactly. he has no idea what's going on. Yeah, this that was an opportunity for him to say evil Russian-backed separatists attacked a nursery school. Putin must be stopped. Why does he turn around and and make it sound like it? This discredits the Ukrainian government. It discredits the Russian-backed separatists because they're the ones who attacked the nursery school. What are you talking about? We know Boris hits the bottle a lot after Partygate. Yeah. Maybe he was drinking again on Bizarre. the job. Bizarre. Um, it's, it's totally fruitcake. It's <clears throat> fruitcake stuff. Look, but anyway, coming back to the playbook, like you said, an atrocity is going to happen one of these days. Um, Sputnik reports um, yesterday that the one of the bridges over which was a huge convoy of refugees being moved from Donbass women, children, the elderly into Russia, that they found um, two bombs were planted under the bridge. Mm -hmm. According to Donetsk authorities. And that's the kind of thing where, you know, they're going to, if and when such a thing happens, that's where they're going to go, right, so the separatists planted the bomb to blow up some of their own people to make it look like we did it, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So Johnson is just like, that's what I mean, it's he knows what the playbook is, but the idiot just didn't use it correctly or yeah, mistimed it. Because it's too confusing even for him, right? Like he finishes up in that statement. We fear, quote, George Johnson, we fear very much that this is the kind of thing we will see more of in the next few days. Right. Which would justify... Something that would justify <laughs> a Russian, quote, invasion of... Ukraine. That doesn't justify a Russian invasion. Russian-backed separatists attacking a nursery school in Ukraine doesn't justify a Russian invasion. It makes them look bad. It's it. <laughs> Come on, seriously, like Jesus <laughs> Christ! You know what's going on here? I mean, what we're dealing you with. Keep your keep your bullshit consistent at least. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it, when you start twisting your bullshit around to the point where you're 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 actually, you know. <laughs> You know, you're saying the opposite of what you should be saying uh, in terms of keeping the bullshit consistent, like Russia's evil, Russia's evil, when you start. Anyway, uh, I just want to put this up for the picture (laughs) for Stoltenberg. You know, he's the NATO chief for a while. He's heading off to be the, I think he's going to be the chairman of the bank of... uh, NATO Stan. No, of, of, I can't remember which country. Estonian? Is he Estonian? I don't know. Anyway, or no, Norway, I think. Norway or, I think he's Norwegian, is he? Yes, Prime uh, Minister of Norway twice. Yeah, I think he's going to be the chairman of the Norwegian Central Bank. Nice cushy job. Look at that face. Just scroll, scroll in on his face there. There's the guy who uh, is saying that Russia is planning a full-scale attack. He really has no idea. He's, he doesn't know what's going on. They ask him about false flag attacks, and he'd be like... Well, he's better than Boris. Come on. I don't know. I don't like... He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a pencil. Like he's, such a, he's such a little Igor, you know, to... to well, I mean, he's better at getting the lie straight. Yeah, well. Uh, the recent actions of Russia are all indications. I can't read this bullshit anymore. Seriously, like, I mean, it's all, bu- I've been reading it for 
eight weeks. The same stuff over and over again. All signs point to Russia planning a full-scale attack on, on Ukraine. I mean, the people... Are, are, is nobody else sick of this? That's, they've been saying that repeatedly over and over again for eight weeks, every single day, multiple times a day. Um, and then you have, um, just go to the other RT article, uh, Scotty, uh, Ukraine makes request to West. Um, this is just from, this is from two days ago, yesterday. Uh, this is, and there's been some bizarre statements like eking out of the Ukrainian government and particularly from Zelensky, which suggests that he has no, no power in that country at no. all, that there's someone else, some other group within Ukraine are negotiating directly with or, or following the orders of the, of the US or maybe CIA operatives basically embedded in the Ukrainian government, kind of like it was in Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, it was basically being run for a while by uh, State Department officials. That's what's happening in Ukraine right now. And, but the odd time you get these statements from, you know, the official representatives of the Ukrainian government uh, that, you know, seem are far, certainly far more reasonable than the kind of stuff you're getting from uh, the Pentagon or Joe Biden or any of their European allies. But here he says, if the West really wants to help Kiev and its standoff with Moscow, it should refrain from guessing when or if Russia's armed forces could begin pouring over the border to wage war against the country, Zelensky said. He said, to help Ukraine, there is no need to constantly talk about possible invasion dates. Uh, we're initiating consultations within the framework of the Budapest Memorandum. Right. Um, Interesting. And he cites that. Yeah. Because no American has cited that. No. Which was an agreement between Washington and Moscow in the 90s that they would not interfere in the politics of Ukraine, Belarus, and third ex-Soviet Republic, can't remember where, Poland maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I mean, the history of all this is, it's probably useful to understand the history of this. Um, Wait, before we go any more history, can I give some more updates on what, yeah. how, what is and is not going on in the go region? Because there's a, a ton of horseshit coming out of Western media. Okay, so these are facts, I think. The, there's no better authority, I think, to ask than the OSCE, mm -hmm. Organization for the Security and Cooperation in Europe, mm -hmm. which was, of course, created to try and bridge some kind of a forum between NATO's down west and Russia. It incorporates Russia, the former Soviet republics. It's basically Eurasia plus the United States. Well, it was also the, – Now, the U.S. isn't in it. It was also it's increased European security forms. in Europe between European countries, you know, part of the uh, – um, you know, in terms of uh, unifying Europe. But go ahead. They say as of, um, no, not as of, on February 16th alone, so that's four days ago now, there were 189 ceasefire violations in the Donetsk part of the breakaway region and 402, so that's over 500 together in the Luhansk part. Mm -hmm. They don't say who's doing it, but most of it, I'm sure, is instigated. It has been. There's a pattern going back years mm -hmm. from U Ukraine proper into Donbass region. Um, of those, two shells have so far, at least two, have landed in Russia proper. Mm -hmm. Now, <laughs> that gives us casus belli Causes, yeah. cause for war. That any Western country would have jumped on all over by now. But of course, Russia is like, well, it's two stray shells. Mm. No one was hurt. Mm -hmm. We'll just absorb those two. And it's a provocation. And yeah. Russia is not taking the provocations. At least three international TV crews have come under fire. Mm -hmm. 
that's not indiscriminate. That's targeted. We know for sure, again, according to OSCE, that the uh, Ukrainians are using drones, types of drones which are prohibited, actually, according to the Minsk agreements, to calibrate their fire. They see positions of anything they want to target for terrorism purposes or to actually take it out. They recalibrate. And three TV crews, RT, Sputnik, the RT one was an Arabic reporter. It was RT Arabic, not RT Russian. Mm -hmm. um, and then a local TV crew as well from the Donbass. Um, you were talking about maps earlier. Pepe Escobar reports that the, uh, the rebels claim to have intercepted the Ukrainian plan. Mm-hmm. And that the plan is to cleanse the region ethnically of Russians. Um, I Probably not an understatement, at least from the point of view of the kind of Nazi elements here. I want to, oh, let's have a look at this map. I don't know how legit it is. It apparently shows positions of um, Ukrainian forces along the contact line. Um, can you... Maybe zoom that in a bit if you can. It probably will be blurry. No, maybe not. Yeah, that looks well. It's in Russian. Um, so it must be legit. <laughs> no, that's not enough, eh? But uh, well, well it, this is this is the invasion map. Yeah. The world should have been shown. Yeah. Okay, we're talking one hundred and fifty thousand, give or take. Everyone agrees that that's a rough number. Ukrainian forces ranged against these rebels who are only about a third of that number and probably less in terms of ratio of uh, materiel, tanks, howitzers, um, anti-aircraft, shoulder help, man pads, all the stuff that have been pumped into Ukraine mm -hmm. in the last few years, especially in the last few weeks, thousands of tons of weapons. And they all went straight to that line. It, it, is, it is indeed gearing up to be a slaughter. It is indeed gearing up to be the invasion an is invasion imminent. force and it's a Western-backed and probably directed invasion of the breakaway part of Ukraine that wants to be part of Russia. So that's, that's your invasion map. All these other ones with arrows from Russia into Ukraine, none of them ever actually got hard intel. The Russian, no Russian stuff was leaked. For sure, those Russian forces ranged all around Ukraine. Of course there are, because it shares borders between Belarus and Russia. There's massive borders. Of course there's Ukrainian-Russian mm -hmm. troops. But it's in their country, as they keep saying. Mm -hmm. This military lineup here is in flagrant breach of Minsk Accords. They're firing in already. The Russians, I mean, that's the other big development, I suppose, that makes this a uh, hot situation. They've started to ship in massive convoys, they claim over 30,000 people so far have been bussed out of Donbass into Russia. And they, that they have sent down emergency <clears throat> funds, shelter, food for up to 700,000 people yeah. inside Russia. There's 4 million people in between Luhansk and Donetsk, those two people, those two republics. Is that the total for both? Well, just for the breakaway portions, because it's not even half of Luhansk. It's like yeah. a small. It's a third yeah. of it, I think. No, but for the for the self-declared Luhansk, and, there's four and, million and remaining in people's there. Republic, there's four million uh, people. 
in, in, in terms of population. Yeah. And two million already left between 2014 and now into mm-hmm. Russia. Russia has a lot of refugees from this region. Uh, one of the, well, there's probably other development, but another big one is that a gas company blew up in Luhansk in the rebel-held part of Luhansk. Mm-hmm. And they suspect sabotage. They didn't suggest that it was missile attacked or anything. That's, that's part of the issue here. The Ukrainian um, Kiev government forces have a lot of inroads into this region. It's in no way like a properly manned border or properly surveilled border. They always have, shortly after 2014, um, SBU, the Kiev Intelligence Services, undoubtedly with a lot of techie help from Langley, successfully car-bombed, assassinated the leaders of the movement, the military mm-hmm. leaders and then their political leader, Zakharova or something his name was, that guy was killed. Late on, I think in 2016, he was assassinated in a restaurant mm-hmm. that had been jerry-rigged, loaded with bombs. Mm-hmm. They obliterated the place. I think 10 people were killed in it. Um, there was another car bomb three days ago that targeted, it was definitely his car, but he wasn't in it at the time, the head of police mm-hmm. for the breakaway regions. Mm-hmm. So go to, Yeah, go to the Twitter, just talking about the, the kind of mentality behind, go to the Twitter link, um, um, Max Blumenthal's actually um, it's yeah he's played a video it's Ukrainian armed forces reportedly flew the flag of the German Third Reich from their position in the Donbass according to surveillance footage from militias on the pro-Russian side now I mean all that stuff is do you play it no? Uh, just a, a video of, of the <laughs> swastika flying it I mean um, yeah, you talk about Nazis and everybody being called Nazis in, in, in Western countries, you know, and especially in the US, all the allegations of of, of fascism and Nazism and, and here's the US. And if you scroll up on that one, can you scroll up on that? The UK's on that, actually on put Wehrmacht insignia yeah. on, their, on their drones. Right. Uh, and this is apparently the US Embassy attaché, Colonel Brittany Stewart, is paying tribute to Ukrainian ultra- right neo-fascist right sector leader Vasily Slipak and if you just click on the one on the right there where the arrow is it just shows um, the the kind of death's head that's their kind of emblem uh, Korean or death badge and so <laughs> yeah they're all lovely people but um, if, if look at this if Russia does not do anything to help them they're going to be slaughtered. Ethnically cleanse. I'm talking like well, there's, there's the cost of our Albanian squared. Yeah. Srebrenica squared. Yeah. Do you see the bind they put Putin in? He has to do something. Yeah. Assuming they, you know, do the full invasion. They actually make use of all those weapons and troops lined up there. Yeah. yeah. He, he will have no choice. Yeah. They want sanctions, yeah, for sure. And it's all to, for the goal of, of imposing sanctions on on Russia in order to... Top of the Telegraph right now. Um, telegraph.co.uk. Russia-Ukraine crisis. West urged to impose sanctions now as Russian invasion threat escalates. Just do it. Hmm. Just do it. Yeah, yeah. They're desperate for it. It's so, it's so obvious that that's... Um, no... I've got to say, Putin is very cool so far from what I'm hearing. Um, he was with uh, Lukashenko of Belarus. Uh, 
mind you, he said this while he was conducting nuclear strategic exercises, which involved all of Russia's big guns yesterday. They fired some of their new hypersonic missiles, the Kinjal, the Zircon. Uh, they did an ICBM test, like from Yars all the way to Kamchatka, submarine salvos, mm. caliber missiles from mm. the Caspian Sea. Mm. They did the full suite, and he did it in his situation room with Lukashenko by his side. But the only thing he said was a calm, I'll read it. The guarantee that peace can be restored comes with the implementation of the Minsk agreements. All Kiev needs to do is sit down at the negotiating table with representatives of the Donbass and agree on political, military, economic and humanitarian measures to end this conflict. Mm -hmm. The sooner this happens, the better. Mm -hmm. So he says the same thing he's been saying since 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just to, just to go over a bit of, a bit of history on this, um, people know most of this already, I assume, but there's maybe some details that are just that are important to, to understand in terms of the how we got to where we are today. Um, so Soviet Union falls, um, 1990, 1991, whatever. Um, NATO had been set up after the Second World War uh, in order as effectively uh, a vehicle, uh, a Cold War vehicle to contain, as we talked about in previous shows, uh, contain the Soviet Union contained communism, whatever. Uh, Which had not fo yet formed a Warsaw Pact. That came five years later. Right. Uh, so they spent all these years, Neil spends all these years, you know, pushing back, organizing uh, with its uh, European allies to, you know, to push back against communism, let's say, in the Soviet Union and have a kind of detente. And um, then the Soviet Union falls. Oh, what's the point of NATO? Um, for a while, the Americans are under the impression that, you know, that's the end of, well, obviously it's the end of the Soviet Union and it's what's Russia going to turn into? Well, we talked again in previous shows about this, about how, uh, you know, the U.S. did its best at the time to kind of hobble the new Russian Federation and turn it into a kind of like, a lot, you know, forced to take its place among the lesser, the lower downs in, in the global order because America even then saw itself as the exceptional nation uh, and that... You know, at least you know had the idea that it was an exceptional nation and the leader of the free world, all those all those good things. So it, um, but it was interesting that in in those years of the of the of the nineties after the fall of the Soviet Union <clears throat> and leading up to nine eleven, uh, you had the rise of neocons in the U.S. Wolfowitz, Pearl, uh, Rumsfeld, Cheney, amongst them, all that kind of stuff. And there was at the time it was I think it was nineteen ninety four. Um, there was a, a document leaked to the New York Times, actually, actually in 1992, a document leaked to the New York Times, and it was called the Wolfowitz Doctrine, uh, its sponsor being Paul Wolfowitz, a kind of arch neocon, um, many of whom, many of those neocons actually at the time were actually Jewish, which means that it had a definite, had a definite uh, Israeli angle to it, but anyway, uh, yeah, I'll just read from the Wikipedia page here because it gives a brief description. The Wolfowitz Doctrine is an unofficial name given to the initial version of a defence planning guidance for the 1994 to 1999 fiscal years published by US Undersecretary of Defence at the time, Paul Wolfowitz, and his deputy Scooter Libby. It was not intended for public release. 
It was leaked to the New York Times in 1992 and sparked a public controversy about US foreign policy and defence policy. The document was widely criticised as imperialist as the document outlined a policy of unilateralism and preemptive military action to suppress potential threats from other nations and prevent dictatorships from rising to superpower status. Dictatorships from rising to superpower status. Such was the outcry that the document was hastily rewritten under the close supervision of US Secretary of Defence Dick Cheney and Chairman uh, of Joint Chiefs of Staff Colin Powell before being officially released on April 16, 1992. Many of its tenets re-emerged in the Bush Doctrine, which was described by Senator Edward Kennedy as a call for 21st century American imperialism that no other nation can or should accept. So basically, the Wolfowitz Doctrine, which then became the Bush Doctrine, was, in short, a policy where America embraced the idea that it was the world's only hegemon, the world's only superpower, and it would not tolerate challenge, a challenge from any other country in the world. And that, that wasn't just a statement of, but it was a statement of intent and, and, and policies and militarization and geopolitical strategy and geopolitical moves uh, were made based, mm. fully based on that policy. Uh, I mean, so you can have a think yourself about everything that happened since then, including maybe most pointedly 9-11 and everything that was justified on the basis of 9-11. But at that time, Russia had done nothing. So Russia is still getting itself together. Putin comes to power in 2000 uh, in the new Russian Federation. And this policy is in place. And it's in place very much with a a view to, to Russia, even though Russia is no longer the Soviet Union. Russia is still, obviously, at this point, deemed to be a potential threat. Uh, but they can't do much about... They haven't been able to subvert Russia from the inside or whatever and turn it into a kind of vassal state. So they just have to... Especially after Putin comes along, they just have to suck it up. But even from from when Putin became came to power in, in 2000, 1999 and 2000, uh, the years before that, since the fall of the Soviet Union, and after that, for the next seven, eight years, Russia did nothing to justify any antagonism by the U.S. towards it. It did nothing on the international stage. It was nothing that the U.S. could have been in any way annoyed, oh, I have vexed, s- I have some about. examples. Nothing open? What, like what? <clears throat> it's long forgotten now, but Putin organized a meeting with Chirac and Schroeder in which they issued a joint press statement and they said they disagreed with invading Iraq. Well, so th- that, I'm that's just saying there was not nothing. But, but no, no, but the, nothing, nothing to single Russia out. Yeah, in the way that it has been since then, mm-hmm. on at the time, and to develop, to develop the policies of the attitude towards Russia then that have have kind of come to fruition over the past ten or fifteen years. Russia had done nothing. When you said it was it was done with Chirac and Schroeder with France and Germany. Why 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 aren't they why aren't they attack France and Germany in the same way? <clears throat> I mean, they called they came up with all sorts of freedom fries and cheese-eating surrender monkeys and stuff uh, because of that 2003 thing, but that wasn't something to single Russia out. So Russia had done nothing, had shown no intention of... Uh, in doing that, it was what you described, it was just simply agreeing with Russia and, uh, with France and Germany on right. the Iraq war, and a lot of people... So it's not something you're going to get so worked up about. So my point about this is they yeah. had done nothing overtly to justify the policies that, they implemented, that the US implemented antagonistic towards Russia. So it obviously has some other reason. There's some other reason behind it that they weren't, that they couldn't speak about because it's not justified. I hear you. 
And in 2000, the first thing Putin actually did was ask to join NATO. Yeah. And they said, nah, you're too big. Oh, it's even more interesting than that. Bill Clinton, who was still president, he was in his last year, said, that sounds definitely, we'll put that on the next agenda. No problem. His advisors went quiet and a letter was written around the back door as Air Force One flew home to Washington and said, never going to happen. Right, exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not happening. Not happening. So why? Right. Why not? Because well, NATO was set up. why, and he was, it was great because he got them to say it officially on the record. No, right. Forget it. <laughs> he even asked to join the, join the EU. He wanted Russia to join the European Union. Yeah. He says, if you're really interested in security in Europe, there's a big part of Russia that's part of Europe. And they said, again, kind of, nah, man, you're too big and you're not, you don't really fit here. You know, so preemptively, they excluded Russia. Mm. And even, even at a time where Russia had radically changed and had fallen apart, basically, as a, as, under the guise as, as, as the Soviet Union and was remaking itself, mm-hmm. they had an opportunity then to, and, and Russia under Putin extended themselves in, in the year 2000, extended himself, uh, extended the hand of, of cooperation or of interest and say, listen, let's all get on get Gave on the US military access so he could fly into uh, Afghanistan. Exactly. He was the first one, I think, to call uh, Bush after, to, after 9-11 and, and offered any help we can offer, no problem. You want to come into Afghanistan, it's right on our border, right on the former Built borders. a memorial <clears> to 9-11 across the waters from the Statue of Liberty. Right. Russian state money. He even said Georgia at the time, you want, to, you want to station troops in Georgia for your war against terror? We're, we're in the whole, we're, we're fully on board with the whole war and terror thing. Let's work on this together. They went, fuck you, you're the problem. And, and I mean, that's what Afghanistan was about in a certain sense, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. we've argued before that that's what the whole war on terror was about. Because if you look back before the war on terror even started, before bin Laden even came on the scene, these policies, the Wolfowitz Doctrine that became the Bush Doctrine, said America is a hegemon. We look around the world and anybody who has the potential to challenge, challenge us and most particularly has some kind of an ideological, uh, is ideologically different from us or would not be so easily swayed to fall in line and see itself as a, as a vassal state effectively mm-hmm. in America, that's the country we have a problem with and the one that stood out amongst any of them. And in, fact, in fact, the only one was Putin and Russia. But not just Putin because within the Russian mentality, there's also the idea that, you know, I mean, you talk about Americans having this idea of them being the exceptional nation and having you know manifest destiny to rule the world, the world's policeman, the greatest nation, the greatest democracy, that ever shining city on a hill, all that stuff. Russia, the Russian people have historically Similar. a view of themselves not not as jingoistic and you know arrogant in a certain sense as 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 it's portrayed in america but russians have an idea of themselves as a great nation that has a big part to play in the world mm-hmm. and always has done and so it's really it's insulting i mean the attitude the americans took towards russia by diminishing them and refusing them any cooperation uh insulted not only the russian elite and political class but the russian population who you know who got wind of that you know um yeah and and you get back to this guy who the the german guy a few weeks ago who had to resign the german chief of the navy who had to resign because he said in a meeting in india and it was you know recorded that he said basically what russia wants is respect and the implication being we're not giving it to them we're not giving the respect that they're due mm-hmm. And in fact, we're just antagonizing them, attacking them. We're creating any and all kinds of smear campaigns and black propaganda and have done <clears throat> for the past 10 or 15 years. I mean, we can cite the, 
uh, as we've said, as we've said before, M817 over Ukraine uh, in 2014. Putin killed my baby, blaming him for shooting down that plane, which was, you know, obviously was again okay. We can talk about false flags now, right? Can we talk officially about false flags now? Would that include would you guy the the Pentagon Pentagon spokesman description of false flags? Where you stage an attack, video it, maybe have even some some crisis actors, some dead people, maybe dead people, maybe not dead people, whatever. It's a kind of there's a there's a lot of room for maneuver there in terms of how you set it up. Uh, since he said that's something that's officially pen, official Pentagon uh, understanding of things that can and do happen or uh, or and are carried out by states, can we put MH17 into that category if it achieves a political objective? which is the whole point of false flag operations, is to achieve a political objective. Yep, and Salisbury, and Litvinenko, 2006. Well, there you go, you went back to 2006. 2006, that's before <coughs> Putin's Munich speech. Right, in 2007. When yeah. he was the only one, and you could hear a pin drop in the room. Actually, the Munich conference this year is being held right now, right. and uh, what's his name, Zelensky is out there. Um, anyway. <coughs> Talking about Munich, 2007, that's maybe the point... <coughs> where they really started to, I mean, obviously, like I said, they had already been gunning for Russia before that and had set their targets on them. But at, by 2007, Putin came out at the Munich Security Conference, came out and said, made some pointed remarks about NATO at that point. He had seen what had gone on. He had seen how uh, the West and America had agreed that after the fall of the Soviet Union, they'd give um, Barker at the time, uh, the, the Secretary of State had given assurances to, to Gorbachev and others had given the same assurances that NATO would not mm. move eastwards and threaten threaten Russia and they, they they reneged on it I think it was 2004 well, I'm not sure of the exact date but Czech Republic Hungary Poland well a bunch in 97 then and 2004 then yeah. and then a third wave right yeah. so by that point the writing was on the wall that this wasn't that, that these people in, in the West and in, in the US and in NATO were just, they were not, they're not going to be our friends. They don't want to be our friends they, for no good reason. In 2007, at the NATO, at the Munich Security Conference, Putin said, uh, well, he noted that NATO had put its frontline forces on our borders, which it had by then, um, in seven countries, I think. And, we, and he said, we do not react to these actions at all, which is true, they didn't react. He said, I think it's obvious that NATO expansion does not have any relation with the modernization of the alliance itself or with ensuring security in Europe. Because uh, that was the justification at the time that they were modernizing it after the Cold War, after the fall of the Soviet Union, that NATO had to retool itself and it was now about... Uh, uh, it was modernizing and, and this whole point was just security in Europe. And right? then it changed. It Amongst was, European countries, right? It was just to keep Europe yeah. knitted together, right? For several years it was upgraded. Before the first JCPOA agreement was signed with Iran, officially NATO missiles were stationed in Eastern Europe to provide an umbrella against air attack right. by Iran against Europe. Right. And when Putin was, <laughs> Putin was asked this by a German journalist, he just, he just laughed in his face. Yeah. He goes on to say... On the contrary, NATO represents a serious provocation that reduces the level of mutual trust. And we have the right to ask, against whom is this expansion intended? Of course, the narrative at the time, like you just said, was, oh, that's for Iran. Uh, and he said, what happened to the assurances our Western partners made after the dissolution of the Warsaw Pact? That was after the fall of the Soviet Union. Where are those declarations today? No one even remembers them. 
but I will allow myself to remind this audience, and he's speaking here to the great and the good and, you know, the, the, the international community, i.e. the West, Western Europe and America. Uh, I will allow myself to remind this audience what was said. I would like to quote the speech of NATO General, NATO Secretary, General Secretary Mr. Warner in Brussels on the 17th of May 1990. He said at that time, the fact that we are ready not to place a NATO army outside of German territory gives the Soviet Union a firm security guarantee. So at the time, we're not going to put any forces outside of our country, um, i.e. eastwards, and Putin says, where are these guarantees? Um, and interestingly, earlier the following year, 2008, a US cable that was released by, by WikiLeaks detailed Moscow's continuing concerns. So the, West was totally, the US was totally aware of what effect this was happening on, on Russia, how it was, <clears throat> they don't <clears throat> go as far as to say that it was unjustified or they were being evil. They weren't like kind of rubbing their hands together and saying, mwahaha, now we have them, but it's more or less there. They say, Ukraine and Georgia's NATO aspirations not only touch a raw nerve in Russia, they engender serious concerns about the consequences for stability in the region. Not only does Russia perceive encirclement and efforts to undermine its influence in the region, but it also fears unpredictable and uncontrolled consequences which would seriously affect Russian security interests. But we don't care. We're going to do it anyway. In fact, good. We're glad to see that they're concerned about what we're doing because we want them to be concerned. Why? At that point, Russia had done nothing. Hmm. Russia was a new country. Russian Federation was a new country, relatively new and had just got back on its feet and was, like, like we said, had extended uh, a hands of friendship towards the US, towards Europe, wanted to join NATO, wanted to join the EU, and they went, fuck you, we're going to get you. Yeah. So you wonder why you're, we're, at the, we're in the position we are today, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or why, why Russia is doing what it's doing today. And what is it doing? Nothing. It's all, again, it's the continuation of this attack on Russia that has been going on for 25 years almost, more. Yeah. Yeah, they keep starting fires. Russia keep, has to keep putting them out. And every time it puts, out, puts them out, it's flipped in the international narrative to, oh, this justifies punitive measures, more sanctions. And it gets tighter and tighter. Now, of course, they want to go sanctions squared, which is totally strangle Russia. We'll see, we'll see if, to what extent they're going to do it. And, and the, the, the grand strategy here, that's, uh, there's petabytes and petabytes of bullshit in the West about what Putin's intentions are, which can be summed up as he's trying to recreate the Soviet Union mm -hmm. right? or the Russian Empire. He needs more land, more. He's just an aggressive. He wants to expand, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is, he has stated numerous times what his, his grand strategy is. It's this. I want to get 100 years straight of stability, of no war, of no revolution in and around Russia. If I can get that, we're going to hit the ground running. We're going to develop. <clears throat> all of this, like you say, all of it is preemptive to a long-term goal of not letting, letting Russia develop. Of not having any country that could, that could challenge America. Not admitting or accepting any country that even... Obviously, you don't wait until they get to the point where they can challenge you. Yes, so uh, all of this is done with a view to five decades hence. Thwarting them in advance. But, of course, they haven't been able to thwart Russia especially from a military point of view. So this is why it's, we have the level of hysteria right now where they have to attack it via black propaganda and black... Uh, it's completely inane. It, the, 
the Western propagandists <clears throat> get to say some true things about Russia. They mock the crap out of how poor the place is, how backward parts of its military still are, or whatever, you know, how poor, how hungry its troops are. And mm. oh, they're not serious. But of course, they give away their, dis, their disbelief of their own bullshit because they are terrified of Russian military potential. But they're, the true part of what they're saying is that Russia is poor, relatively. Yeah. Medvedev, in a speech recently, is still Russia's prime minister. No, he's not. He's now a retired elder statesman. He's not the prime minister. He was asked, well, what is the main threat to Russia right now? And, you know, he's, he's expected to give something serious about the war. And he says, Russia's biggest problem is poverty. Mm. Its biggest national focus, ideally, would be on alleviating poverty, mm. on getting people up into the middle class, mm. developing education infrastructure. Mm. We, and put that with what Putin says, just give us the time and the space to grow. No, you won't, you're not allowed time and, and space. And that's not allowed. Mm. We're talking in about... Fact, in fact, the fact that, you, that Russia says that exposes a weak point, and that's where we're going to poke. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned, we mentioned there what Russia has done, what's been accused of, how it's been demonized, and that demonization process was, is, is instrumental in getting us to the point today where you have a lot of people on Twitter and on social media who are completely clueless, who are buying the mainstream narrative uh, about evil Putin, the dictator who's trying to recreate the Soviet Union, blah, blah, blah. He's just an evil assassin. He's a killer, as, as Biden called him. Um, that's, that's been going on for, for, for a long time. And pe there's people on social media who, who are who are woke to the bullshit of the, of the Western media, who, 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 who excoriate them in terms of their lies and why they're no longer believed by anybody. Uh, but on this topic... They're, yeah, Putin's evil. We need to do something about Putin. Putin's trying to invade Ukraine. It's bizarre, the inability to, where they'll the, totally trash the Western media and call them a bunch of liars, rightfully so, mm -hmm. and then flip around and just believe everything they say about Putin and Ukraine. Uh, and we mentioned that... Not all of them, though. No, right? but there's a bunch of them. Yeah. I'm citing a bunch yeah. of people who don't seem to be able to get it, who do get it in other areas, but for some reason have been mind-programmed about Russia and Putin. Yeah. And there's been a long process of that happening, bringing them to this old. point. Yeah. And when we, when we mentioned some of them there in terms of the, uh, the process, like you had, um, you had what was his name, Litvinenko, was the first little salvo in 2007, 2006-7, uh, how, you know, polonium poisoning a Russian dissident in London, died of cancer as a result of Russian polonium poisoning, whatever. Uh, again, probably a false flag. Um, then you jump forward. You have to jump forward to um, 2014, the coup in Ukraine. Oh, well, just before that, uh, Magnitsky. The Magnitsky, right? Okay. There's a few little things that kept yeah. the taken over, started to seed the seed or to, to, to set the set the scene um, of demonizing Russia and Putin in particular. Uh, 2014, you had him accusing him they staged a coup in Ukraine and you accuse him of annexing Crimea and uh, Donbass. Just before that, sorry, just before that there was a prelude to the what would come next everywhere. They accused him of being anti gay because right. of his anti pedophile right. Well there's a whole pussy riot in, thing in the as well. To twenty fourteen right. And there was a whole clamping down on, on, on yeah on, ah, on, on dissidents. There's one other big one. One other big one. Remember he put the kibosh on their go massive plan for Syria in August twenty thirteen. Yeah. There was weapons hot. They were on the runway. And the last minute, 
the British decide to hold a vote and vote against, right? After Washington said Obama pulled back, that's because Putin did something, right? We suspect, yeah, that something was going on behind the scenes there, yeah. yeah. Um, but so there's those, there's all these little events that have that have shaped the Western public perception of Putin yeah. and Russia as this evil empire and him as an evil dictator and stuff, and all of it lies. Um, 2014, he annexed Crimea. He, uh, you know, you know, funneled weapons to the Brigway republics of Luhansk, Luhansk and Donetsk. And we stuff. think no one's ever found evidence. And then of that. that summer that that happened, he killed my babies. He killed our babies and shooting down that plane. Um, and ISIS springs up. ISIS springs up. Then it's into Syria. He's really pissing them off because he's well doing the right thing. He's just joining them in their war on terror. Not allowed to. Uh, all sorts of negative press about Putin. And we met, so we mentioned a few there, um, and then Skripal's more recently. Um, but one in the middle of that, or maybe before or after, I don't know the exact date, but uh, obviously stole our elections, right? Hacked our elections. Ah, and people don't... That was a big one for America. If you just throw up the uh, the YouTube video there, because you've probably forgotten about this, but it kind of sums it up. Um, oh, God, I remember this. We have been attacked. We are. War. Imagine this movie script. A former KGB spy, angry at the collapse of his motherland, plots a course for revenge. Taking advantage of the chaos, he works his way up through the ranks of a post-Soviet <coughs> Russia and becomes president. He establishes an authoritarian regime, then he sets his sights on his sworn enemy, the United States. And like the true KGB spy he is, he secretly uses cyber warfare to attack democracies around the world. Using social media to spread propaganda and false information, he convinces people in democratic societies to distrust their media, their political processes, even <laughs> their neighbors. And he wins. Vladimir Putin is that spy, and this is no movie script. We need Pause our there. president to speak. This is no movie script. That's why it's being read by an actor. You <laughs> <laughs> spanner. What a freaking <clears throat> asshole. Uh, so that didn't age well. Yeah, convinces Putin convinced people in America to distrust their media. Yeah, because Americans have no other reason to distrust their media at all. Like, it's all about Putin. Like, But, uh, yeah, um, he goes on, obviously, blah, 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 blah. And it's all about the Putin stole our election, hacked our election stuff. You know, we're at war. This is a war. Uh, we need to respond as if it's a war. And Morgan Freeman, come on. Um, obviously, he's just a stupid Hollywood actor, so what does he know? In fact, he did a video afterwards, and uh, somebody asked him about it, and he said, I was just asked to do it, and I did it. <laughs> Shame and he said, do you believe it, though? And he said, well, yeah, I don't say stuff I don't believe. But anyway, I can't talk about the politics. Ask me about my movie. It's a joke, like, you know. Shame but so this is how... This is, a, you know, people forget how they got to, to where we are today. You know what I mean? It's been a long process of acclimatizing Western, the Western mind to this idea that Putin is a dictator and all that stuff that's being said right now. And none of it's true. It's a childish bullshit version of what's actually happened. And so many people believe it because it's easier because it's simple, one line, small words. Uh, but it's simply but it, not true. It also shields them from actual... Realizing the actual evil in the world, you know? Yeah. For Americans, obviously, it's the nature of their government 
and their, quote, way of life, which they're always citing. This is all to protect our way of life. Well, the atrocities you indirectly support to support that way of life, if you knew them, you would, you know, pull your eyes out. Mm -hmm. And you had a conscience, of course. Mm -hmm. You'd run from the room screaming. You'd be... It shields them from that horror. It's a weird, but it's effective psychological strategy, psyop. You, you, you don't just give them rainbows and unicorns. You give them that too. But you also actually beat the crap out of their minds every day with CNN version, movie script version of An Evil World. Yeah, narrated by an actor. Very, very carefully choreographed Plato's Cave type stuff. When there is actually a serious issue, to consider. There are real atrocities. There are eth ethnic cleansing incidents, but they, yeah. they, they get inoculated against seeing the actual horror by sh instead shedding crocodile tears at the pretend horrors mm. or the, the, the warped versions of them. The one that bleaches any involvement of mm -hmm. my team, you know? Yeah, for sure. The yeah. winning team. Yeah. Yeah, and the elites, like, um, I mean... The elites are so detached from reality at this point. They're, I mean, it's the Karl Rove thing, you know. Um, I, I, that quote attributed to Karl Rove about how they hear from. We're an time. empire now. Yeah, what do you say? We're an empire now, and when we act, we create our we create our own reality. And while you're studying that reality judiciously, as you will, we'll act again, creating new realities. Well, that's what they're doing right now. Um, you know, it's a constructed reality right now that uh, Russia is planning to attack and invade Ukraine. And that's the reality they're creating. And they're, and they're able to able to do that because they have control over the media and control over the, you know, the, the information sphere. You know, that's, that's a big part of it, having control over the information sphere because if you can project your version of reality, you can project it into the minds of people and then that becomes that reality in a certain sense because people act on it, you know, or at least they're, they don't react against it, you know. They believe that that's the case, you know. But... Um, and it's also, you know, it's a fiction as well that NATO, NATO's purpose, uh, um, NATO's purpose of of containing the Soviet Union uh, back then has has changed uh, with the the appearance of the Russian Federation, the fall of the Soviet Union, and the appearance of the Russian Federation. That that NATO's um, purpose is no longer to contain Russia. I mean, it obviously has not changed. It mm -hmm. just segued straight into containing the Russian Federation. And what is containing the Russian Federation involved involves what they're doing, what they have been doing uh, since 1990, which is progressively to expand closer and closer to Russia's borders in order to attempt to create a situation where they can, like I think I mentioned this in previous shows, where they can get a kind of a military uh, option of a kind of first, first, strike, strike. first strike capability mm -hmm. that where Russia... Well, they could effectively win a war. They could have some kind of a... <clears throat> and they don't even have to go there necessarily, but they have to get the military apparatus in place where Russia knows very well that they're defeated militarily without a shot being fired, and then you get them to back down. You get them to do what we... we you do what we tell you to do now that you know and we know that if you don't, there's yeah. going to be military consequences, and they're real. I, I, yeah, War is almost the – it is the tip of the spear, the as the mm. saying goes. But the real <clears throat> achievement is regime change. Yeah. And I don't just mean – it's not as simple as roughly as they have actually executed it around the world in the last 20 years where 
you instigate trouble in the country. In fact, ideally, you squeeze the people deliberately so that they are motivated to rise up and overthrow the regime. It's, it's, but it's not just about getting rid of Putin. It's not just about getting rid of the United Russia Party. They, they, want, they want psychological collapse. I have wondered this from time to time myself. Like, if I was a Russian, I'd be asking, is it, is it worth all of this? Like, we could have developed a lot quicker by now. Could we not have? Well, theoretically, could we not have if we just accepted Pax Americana? Mm-hmm. Um, they they want to bring them to the point of it's, it's just full access. Like in Western Europe, you know. And you see, Western Europeans would argue, well, life's not bad here, you know. Yeah, there's a lot we don't like. There's yeah. a lot of new ideological stuff, obviously, at the moment that we don't like. Mm-hmm. There's protests, you know. The Lord knows there's enough grounds for revolutionary, you know, f- feeling all over the West at the moment. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with COVID, that's, you know, sparked it um, as well. But on the whole, people are not about to overthrow any oppressors in the West because they have it good. Yeah. So they want to bring the Russian people, or at least their elites, and the They'll follow, the people will follow after that to the point of psychological collapse. For God's sake, will you just submit? Mm-hmm. Why do you, it's like, why do you keep fighting? You? Why do you resist mm-hmm. Neo? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's something in the Russian, it's not just, maybe Putin's key to it, but he's not just Putin, obviously. Because, like I say, regime change wouldn't be enough. There's something in the Russian people that just goes, because I choose to. Yeah. But that's, that, I that won't. Is- but that gets down to, and, and, it's, and it's seen in the West, like you talk, talk about uh, people having it good and having it easy, you know, um, living high on the hog in the West and stuff. But there's something, there's, that only goes so far in terms of pe- keeping people content, you know what I mean? And maybe there's something in the Russian population coming from a relatively recently a more agrarian, more real life, uh, you know, more practical down-to-earth experience of reality, let's say, in terms of where a majority are, a majority of the population work in real jobs, work, you know, work at the coalface type thing, you know, yeah. whereas in the West, you have a lot of people who have been, like you were saying, raised up into the middle classes, like, but a lot of the middle classes today, what that means is these people who live lives where they don't actually have much contact with actual reality. They and have thus all the, meaning. Yeah. And that's where it comes, you know. Maybe you, the Russians are hungrier for meaning right, than they, they are ha- for icons. Because they're closer to it. They have it it's closer in their history, you know what I mean? It's part of their genetics, you know what I mean? In a certain sense, where our, our family histories were uh, and, the, and the cultural norms and beliefs and, and understandings are, are passed on that convey a, a value for more mundane, kind of, kind of almost like hard work. You know, you get into Jordan Peterson stuff here, pick up your burden, you know, it's meaning, it's hard work and overcoming obstacles that provides meaning in life. If you elevate a whole population way up to the point where, they have no longer any contact with that. Do you know what I mean? You might start getting a lot of disgruntled citizens. You know what I mean? Um, and but probably it'll take a while, and those people will enjoy that kind of middle management in terms of the the human social structure. You know, they're in the middle where again, where they don't have to get their hands dirty and a lot of things. They'll 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 be happy with that. But the problem is that as that kind of if if you get corruption in government, or if you get people down lower let's say, who work menial jobs or who are farmers or whatever, uh, who start, who are getting the, 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 the shitty end of the stick, let's say, or getting a raw deal, 
uh, in terms of, you know, jobs and the economy and, you know, salaries and all that kind of stuff. Those are the people who get out and protest. And that's what we're seeing in Canada. It's like the people, we wonder why more Canadians weren't out protesting in Canada, you know. Uh, but I think the majority of the people who were protesting were people who were from, let's say, the lower end of the social scale. But they see, coming from that, that lower end of the social scale, they're able to see the corruption in a certain sense. Or they see that they're not living as, as well or, or they're being negatively impacted by the current system. Whereas the, well, the middle class are happy with the, and, and the ones at the top are, 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 you know, in the elite are very detached from reality and stuff. They're kind of like Karl Rove's kind of reality creators. We can do whatever we want type thing. But the people at the coalface are like, you know, we're not so happy here anymore, you know. And then you see whenever they protest about whatever it is and whatever's bothering them, um, <clears throat> what happens in Canada, you know. Okay, they get to have their trucker protest for a few weeks, but then... It's in with the, the cops and the battens and the horses and, and the emergency powers and, and trample them and put them down, you know what I mean? Um, Do you want to talk about that next? <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> There's one other thing. Putin also said something with Lukashenko present yesterday. Um, again, cool hand Luke, sanctions will be imposed in any case. Yeah. So he's expecting it. Whether they have a reason today... For example, in connection with events in Ukraine, or if, if there's no such reason, it will be found because the goal is different. In this case, the goal is to slow down the development of Russia and Belarus. Yeah. So he knows. Yeah. It's just. Well, that's what, this just wraps up what we just said. Yeah. In, in a in a paragraph. Yeah. Um, and it's always been that. Yeah. For the past 25 years, that's been always, that's been the goal all along. They've seen Russia as, and again, maybe we haven't defined it precisely and maybe we can't define it precisely, but for some reason, back in the 90s, the America, maybe it was just because that was their old enemy and we need an enemy, so let's just keep Russia. But I think it's more than that. They, there was, they perceived something different in the Russian mindset that they realized they were never going to be able to force to submit. They were never going to be able to bring it into our sphere of, of, of our frame, our sphere of yeah, influence, right? It, there was a greater risk of if it came into the sphere, <coughs> including into our institutions, of it, of it changing the nature of the institutions. Yeah, yeah that, yeah, both, yeah. Um, they, they'd want equal voting rights and then, whoa, whoa, hold on. It's the IMF. We run the IMF yeah. or WTO or NATO. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, just before we go, did you see that the German Chancellor went to the Kremlin last week? Mm. And he also got the long table treatment. Did he, yeah. It was the same thing as Macron. He wouldn't take the PCR test. <laughs> so Stereo like. The Telegraph ran this piece. It's, it's bonkers. I, I, they don't have any information. They were speculating as to why, why it was the case. We know that this isn't standard for everyone who visits um, no. the Kremlin. Because Bolsonaro of Brazil... Yeah. Got a handshake, when, and got a handshake, a hug, and you know, business deals tea. done. Uh, apparently, uh, it's the biggest importer of Russian meat or something, or mm -hmm. vice versa. Anyway, let's look at this one. This is the tel the British Telegraph, of course. Where else? Trying to explain why quote why world leaders don't trust Vladimir Putin with their DNA, <laughs> yeah. and it basically speculates that. From it's ancestry checks to futuristic, up a little bit. 
from ancestry checks to futuristic bioweapons, the West aren't taking any risks when it comes to the Russian president. Uh, sorry, I was distracted by the image there of Putin peeking through the, uh, like, peeking the DNA. lines of your DNA, and I was wondering if, you know, maybe, like, Russia would be accused of, like, hacking our DNA the, soon. And, uh, somebody should do a coffee, table, a coffee table book of the, the best, i.e. the worst graphics that Western media have come up that's with bizarre. for their media, for their reports over the years. It's that's so hysterical. Like, it's such yellow bullshit journalism that it blows my mind. Like, <clears throat> and how people don't see they're being manipulated by that nonsense, you know? The claim is that Putin could develop a specific bioweapon that would target the well, leader. Look at the first line there. Or, it's kind of interesting. It could have been a scene from the frostiest days of the Cold War. <gasps> you mean we're still in the Cold War? Well, Yeah. Yeah, we're back in because Putin, right? Yeah. The playbook and all that. Whose playbook is it again? Yeah, who knows? It's such bullshit. Anyway, the, the, it goes on to say that, well, it, there's a couple of th layers of analysis here. One is, obviously, they're stupid. You know, they're suggesting that Putin would use it to create a weapon to yeah. target the leaders. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, look at, the look other at one line. is French diplomatic sources later admitted the decision was, in fact, motivated by fears about what the Russian state might do with his saliva. <laughs> with Macron's saliva. Well, in Macron's case, it was interesting. They were worried, they said, that Putin would use it to find out who his ancestors were, mm. who he's related to. Did, is there someone in Macron's recent past that he's anxious that never be revealed or something? Quite possibly. Scroll down, is there a picture of the German Chancellor? No. Oh, yeah. No, that's Macron. That's Macron, yeah. But the German Chancellor got the same treatment. Very frosty. Frosty, cold worry. Cold war, frostiness, eternal winter. It's uh, so far, Scott. As if, like, you can't find out someone's... Yeah. If someone's trying to hide someone in their ancestry. I mean, the world is awash. As the article points out, in 23andMe DNA, these yeah. are American firms that are pushing this big time. Yeah. Oh, just find out who your ancestors are. Yeah. And tens of millions of people are basically giving their information couldn't, to the CIA. But couldn't they have got a piece of hair? Like, surely Michel, Macron uh, shed a piece of hair there. In the article, you know? it explains that... Do you wear a hairnet? Get this. Get this. Or some hairspray. Prince Harry, who no longer has the full suite of state protection because he's, mm. you know carted off to California, nevertheless has a special security detail that follows him to wipe tables, to pull bed sheets of any surface he's touched outside his home. Why? Because somebody might, for example, the article speculates, take a hair of his, do a DNA test and find out that his real father is that Hewitt guy. Oh my God. <laughs> they have these full-time details, swiping stuff for but hairs. If, but why? For, if it's just for that reason, then that's an admission that... Something, something is, is that, uh, that, uh, oh. that other guy, not Prince Charles. Um, yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. Yeah. I think a big problem in all of this is, yeah, complete. Uh, and it, the elites, and it's filtered down into society where they're basically very detached. I was thinking recently there about a few different things. That idea of um, the elites being very detached, removed from uh, the lives and the concerns of ordinary people, and then being in this kind of being in this bubble where they really believe they can they create reality. They're all powerful. They can create a reality for the population. The population will just have to go along with it. Have to try and figure it out. But we create reality as we and, go along. You know? And that they're that important. Yeah, that their but, DNA might be. 
but yeah, and it, it kind of made me think about because I think that's very true. You know what I mean? Like you look at uh, Trudeau, you know, just disappearing off for two weeks while this, uh, and then coming back full of full of piss and vinegar, basically. You know, no, no, no conscience, no, uh, no, no sense that he would ever meet any of the truckers. It's just like you know, sent you know, declare emergency, uh, de- declare a. a what they could declare a state of emergency and basically, you know, send in the police and beat heads, you know, uh, and that he thinks that that's fine to do and he can get away with it, you know. Uh, and you see that across the board, like, you know, and obviously with the Russia thing and the way these people are in, in, in the US, politicians in the US uh, and in Europe are acting towards Russia, making shit up all over the place and believing it, apparently. So their complete detachment from reality, effectively, and how that, and I, I thought about it in terms of, like, postmodernism. That has that came in the scene. I mean, I know it's been around for a long time, but really burst onto the scene five or six years ago, and the whole transgenderism thing, and how you you know, because transgenderism is an idea that you can be whatever you want, right? And postmodernism, kind of social constructionism, right, where everything's a construct, and you know, it ties into this. It, it has elements of that idea of basically life, myself, and life, and everything. Uh, none of it's real, and it can be whatever I want it to be. Uh, because it's me. Yeah. And the elites acting in that way and it filtering down into society and producing these kind of postmodernist social constructionism ideas that are taken up by a lot of people. And then you have Facebook turning itself into meta and saying that everybody's going to live in the metaverse, which is like a literal detachment from reality. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like across the board. Like it's, there seems to be a theme there yeah. uh, that's pervading society, particularly in the West, where it's like just people are being encouraged to withdraw from reality and just live in a make, make-believe world, basically. Yeah. And you can't do that for very long before something, before reality, actual reality starts to intrude. But again, you've got a small, <coughs> at least a, <coughs> maybe a, a minority percentage of the population who don't have the luxury of being able to do that, have to live, uh, you know, uh, like I said before, I kind of at the coalface, you know, and, uh, and do menial jobs or do difficult jobs. And what they're the ones who are like, a this small, is all bullshit. A small fringe minority, Joe. Not a fringe minority, but a minority of the public. I don't know if it's a minority. Maybe um, when I say minority, I mean maybe 30, 40%. I don't know what the actual data is. I know there's, there's, there's a lot of them, you know. You saw it in, in Trump in the, in the another example of the different perception and different attitude towards life and maybe a different contact with real life among a population. You saw it with the, with the Trump election where the, the map, you know, of the red and blue states, all of the blue, all of the Hillary Clinton, all of the Hillary voters across the map in the US we're all in cities in big yeah. cities well these people are all living in this middle management and social hierarchy place where they're where they're they, they have an interaction that the jobs they do affect society but not directly and all of the red states are all in the countryside yeah. all rural yeah and people you, who work and get their hands dirty yeah and that that country in they, one way or another that, that country they live <clears> in <throat> while it's still nominally nominally the United States of America they actually live in the global archipelago of globalized city states, right? Just surrounded by hinterlands of red, right. you know, the the rabble. Yeah, they no longer have attachment to. They, they have more attachment when a terror attack or some other atrocity happens in one of the other um, islands of this global archipelago. You know, the lights go up. They change their avatars. We're all Italy now. There's been a terror attack in Rome. Oh my God! Yeah, I'm connected with the world. I can totally yeah. empathise with the situation. But then they have no clue there's a mass uprising against 
whatever, austerity in Italy right. by the working class or right. COVID lockdowns by well, the working class. It's I'll like look down dirty rabble. Yeah. You know, send in the police. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they very much uh, have it's, – it's faux. It's not it's, – it's a thin. When actual reality intervenes and there's catastrophe, you know, they, they won't be empathizing with their fellow yeah. uh, globalized people. No, no, there, There's sure, a thin yeah. veneer of – they're well, trying to recreate bonds. They're not just smashing all bonds into little atomized units. They're trying to meld those bonds into these new sort of one-world faux ones. Well, it's virtue, virtue signaling, right? That's what they get out of it effectively is by empathizing in that way supposedly with all the oppressed people around the world via Twitter or something and Instagramming about it or something, you know. Yeah. It's like that's all – self-focused they don't really care about those other people you know and the guy who's working on a farm working on mechanics or whatever he doesn't have time to be on youtube yeah. or doesn't have time to be paying attention to what's going on around the world because he's working 12 hours a day or working 10 hours a day or something you know yeah and also people who work like farmers for example you know uh you know they'll notice maybe bad things going on with the weather you know problems with crop yield and that kind of stuff or just being outside where some prices yeah or pr and pricing and um They'll notice it first, and they'll they'll complain about it, and they might protest about it. They'll get out in the streets, whereas the people in there, kind of like, like again, the middle management in the social hierarchy who are detached from it all, don't never get their hands dirty. They'll say, "Well, no, I looked at my weather app on my phone, and it didn't say there was anything wrong with the weather." And I, you know, I go from my air conditioned apartment to my air conditioned car to an air conditioned office and back home. I, I, mean, I don't really have any contact with the weather outside, so I just check for check it on the on the weather app and. It says it's fine and it feels fine to me. Can't stop the signal now. Mm -hmm.